the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. I have a remarkable man on the video and audio right now. His day job, so to speak, has been associate professor of medicine at Brown University. I, uh, he's an epidemiologist, of all things. I admit, not a group that I have instant respect for, <laughs> but <laughs> I do for him. Uh, but he is uh, known to people around the world for, he's one of the greatest living scholars of Islam and specifically of Islam and the Jews. I, I don't know how he has been able to do the work he has done. If he were a full-time academic, it would be an achievement, but he's a full-time epidemiologist. And now a, uh, a book of surpassing scholarship and understanding the Legacy of Islamic Anti-Semitism by Andrew Bostom, B-O-S-T-O-M, Boston with an M, M.D. There's a foreword by Ibn Warak. Ibn Warak, I have read much of his work, is a Muslim or was a Muslim and now writes under a pseudonym because he doesn't want to get killed. Andrew Bostom, it's a true honor. You're an exceptional uh, man scholar, gutsy guy. So this is huge, this topic, and people listening will be lucky to have heard you. Let's begin at the beginning. What was Muhammad's attitude towards Jews? So Muhammad's initial attitude was that they would recognize him as their prophet and and that and that they would they would uh, take kindly to him, follow him, etc. Um he he found, and again, Janice, we have to we have to take this on faith. It's it's all the Muslim narrative. We don't really have independent historical confirmation for any of this. But but what what Muslims learn, what Muslims teach, is that Muhammad was very disappointed in the Jews' reaction to him, and they resorted to all kinds of uh, chicanery and then and then serious stuff, attempting to assassinate him, etc., uh, and sabotage him. And he felt compelled to conquer and subdue them and bring them and bring them under nascent Islamic law. So it's a very, very contentious uh, relationship. Um, and then we see a lot of melding together of, of uh, in terms of the anti-Semitism of, of themes that are that are interwoven with with the Quran itself, with the traditions of Muhammad. Um, and so in in one uh, iconic, you know, scene. If you can envision it that way, uh, Muhammad is besieging the the Jewish tribe Banu Kareza, 
uh, and he's allegedly saying outside, you know, their fortress, um, uh, he's, he's deriding them as, as brothers of apes and pigs. And this is a Quranic epithet. It's, it's in the fifth surah chapter uh, of, of, of the Quran, the 60th verse. Um, and, you know, ultimately, of course, uh, they, the, the siege is successful. They surrender. And because they're accused of treachery, uh, Muhammad himself uh, beheads somewhere between 600 and 900 of the post-pubescent males. Um, and, and, then, and then the rest are, are enslaved. Um, and, 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 and this becomes the, 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 the prototype for, um, for how uh, any, any resistance to, to his authority is dealt with in terms, in terms of the Jews. He, eventually, it winds up where there's, there's a farming oasis, uh, where there's no, there's no hostility towards Muhammad. They're, they're, these, are, these are Jewish farmers. And, and they are attacked in what is believed to be, again, according to the Muslim narrative, one of the first um, truly aggressive jihad campaigns. And, and it's, it's violent, they're subdued, and they become the first dhimmi, uh, Dennis. The, the, those, those, that, those that are willing uh, to surrender uh, are, are allowed to function as vassals uh, uh, un, under Islamic law and, and contribute uh, a, a, a poll tax or, or some sort of remuneration uh, from from their from their farming, um, but but they but they give up all their o- autonomy. They're 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 de-weaponized, um, and again, uh, this is this this becomes incorporated in, into Islamic law. So so the best that Jews can hope for under Islamic law is is a, is a form of, of vassalage. Of yeah. vassalage. Yeah. Dimmi, folks, is D-H-I-M-M-I. Christians are also Dimmi. Those are the only groups yes. allowed to even be Dimmi. Others were generally offered the sword or conversion. Tell me if this is accurate, that Muhammad fasted on Yom Kippur until the Jews rejected him. Are you familiar with that? I'm honestly not familiar with that. Yeah, it's it's uh, it, it's something. Uh, I, I, that's why I wanted to bounce it off you. I've read it in so many cool. places, but I, I I wanted to ask someone who's really uh, gone through all of this. All right, it's it's not here or there, but he did make overtures to the Jewish community. They rejected him. He beheaded uh, eight hundred or whatever it was, and uh, that was the beginning. When when the terrorist groups quote. There was a Jew behind the tree. What is that from? So this is this is this is also Muhammad. Muhammad Muhammad in a tradition in a hadith uh, talks about um, the, the, that that the Jews will have to be annihilated to usher in the messianic age, and and this is what you find um, not only in the Hamas covenant, uh, but it's it's a tradition that's repeated. Uh, through and this is the problem, Dennis. It's a tradition that's repeated by major Islamic teaching institutions like Al Azhar University. Um, it's commonplace uh, throughout the Middle East. It's commonplace historically. Uh, we can we can see it referred to in, in, in classical Quranic commentaries. But it's 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 basically um, central to to Muslim uh, eschatology end of end of times theology. Uh, both, both Sunni and and, and what, what is central to end of times eschatology? That that the Jew, the Jews have to be annihilated. Really, to usher in, and that's yes. in the Hadith. Yes. 
Yes. It's, that's it's the, in, all right, so in, that's, in the again, that's post-Quran teachings. I just want to be, be, be Exactly, exactly. Um, and, and as a matter of fact, Dennis, there was a really, this was a remarkable poll, because I'd like to talk, if we could, a little bit about polling data that we have, contemporary polling data. But, but in, in, in 2011, Stanley Greenberg, who you may remember, was a, was a very respected Democratic pollster. I think he still is. Uh, he, he did something remarkable. He went to, uh, to uh, Judea Samaria, to the West Bank and Gaza, uh, and polled over 1,000 Palestinians in, in Arabic. And he pulled out two, two uh, elements of the Hamas covenant. One, that basically it's Article 7, I believe, that, that quotes that hadith that you just mentioned, um, and, and wanted to see how many of the Palestinians uh, uh, abided it. And, and 73% uh, felt that that was, that was the, way, the way things should be. That the Jews um, should then, be annihilated. Yes, yes. But, and so this is, in, this is, a, this is a genocidal uh, theme. When it came to another article in the Hamas Covenant, which he quoted, uh, it's, it's in Article 15. It, that is a section about jihad to, to be waged by the entire Muslim community, the, the global ummah, as they refer to it, uh, to destroy Israel as a political entity, not necessarily to, destroy, to, 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 to wipe out individual Jews, although it's hard to separate the two to a certain extent. Um, and that, that was... Again, that that was accepted, abided by 80 percent of Palestinians. But but what he did that was remarkable was that he specifically used the language from these articles in in the survey. Other questions were asked as well. But that was the first time I ever saw any pollster even attempt such a thing. And, And, you know, Dennis, it's actually when you look more broadly at attitudes, some of the best polling data we come uh, comes from an organization that I think neither of us, uh, it's fair to say, have a lot of respect for, and that's the Anti-Defamation League. Huh. However, for over 20 years, they did they have developed a very simple and elegant survey instrument, which which it's gone through two iterations. But basically, they query 11, they they list 11 anti-Semitic stereotypes, and the individual respondent just has to sort of check off and say which ones they agree with. If they agree with with the majority, so six out of 11, they're defined, and I'm using epidemiologic terms, but they're defined as an index case of of extreme anti-Semitism. Then ADL applies this across countries, populations, and simply tallies up what is what how common is this? When when they when they went to uh, not surprisingly, when they went to the Middle East and North Africa and they did this as part of a hundred country survey. Um, they found that the 16 most anti-Semitic countries in the world were all in this region. And the commonality, the prevalence of this degree of anti-Semitism, again, it's extreme anti-Semitism, was, was any, anywhere from 74 to 93 percent. And of course, also unsurprisingly, the, the prize winner in terms of the dubious prize winner, in, in, where the 93 percent was the Muslims of Gaza and, and the West Bank. Although close behind them at 92% were, were the Iraqis. Um, and, 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 and what's happened, unfortunately, is that as the Muslim populations have migrated into Western Europe and the United States, not to this degree of virulence, but, but increasingly approaching it, you see the same sort of disparity. Uh, when you look at the global data, again, it's the 16 most anti-Semitic countries in the world. When you, when you, when you look 
at Western Europe and you start to apply this same survey there, you're now seeing the, the latest iteration. Uh, they took a hiatus for COVID, but in 2000, uh, at the end of, of, of 2022, um, they, they at least surveyed the Muslims of, of, uh, of France uh, and Belgium. And, and, in, and in France, this degree of anti-Semitism amongst the Muslims was 62%. It was only, not, not, I should say only, it was 15% amongst the Christians. Uh, similar results of, in the low to mid 50s. Yeah, you could Belgium. say only if it's 15 uh, percent. Yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's a lot. <laughs> well, no, uh, no, I, 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 I'm, I'm agreeing only is valid. 15 yeah. percent means nothing to me. Uh, about 30 years ago, I established the Elvis Presley principle. When I read that 12 percent of Americans thought Elvis Presley was alive, I said <laughs> you, that means never take 12 percent seriously. You can get twelve percent to say anything. So if it's it's, dis- it's, it's disproportionate, though, is is the point? And yes, sort of your point is extremely well taken. Of the sixteen most anti-Semitic countries, were they all Muslim? Oh yeah, every country was in was in the the the, the uh, North Africa okay. and the Middle East. So again. The ADL, which I, I believe and you believe as uh, absolutely downplayed Islamic anti-Semitism, uh, yes. uh, nevertheless, it has acknowledged that in its survey of countries, the 16 most anti-Semitic countries were all Muslim, and they were in the Middle East. Am I repeating you correctly? Yes, yes. It's, it's, it's remarkable what they do between the raw data and the press releases. There's, there's this yawning gap, Dennis, and it's, and it's very misleading. And I think it's why people are shocked when I tell them that that's what the surveys have actually shown. And, and they've shown this re- repeatedly. You know, a, a colleague of ours, um, uh, Mort Klein, uh, I briefed him on these data, and he and he and he was at a at a, at a congressional hearing on anti-Semitism in 2019, and he actually made slides and posters of these data, and so he's going through it just the way I went through it, uh, you know, with with you, and you know, the, the, the way the way these hearings run, there's there's a there's a lot of uh, gaps between the different witnesses, and it just so happened that ADL was there, and so about a half hour after Mort presented these data. Again, where, where the 16 most anti-Semitic countries in the world are, are all in, in the Muslim Middle East and North Africa. Um, her, her, her response, I, I recorded it, was, was unbelievable. Um, in other words, these societies are virtually 100% Muslim with the, possible, with the exception of Lebanon, which is about 60% Muslim now. It's Muslim majority. So, so her response to, 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 to this disproportionate anti-Semitism. From their people, own data. Yes, 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 yes. Eileen Hershenov, senior VP for policy, was, quote, one of the witnesses, you know, Mort Klein, talked about global attitudes that we look at. And the ADL does track that. Her, her vulnerable, marginalized communities have bigotry within them. And I, I, my jaw dropped when she said that. So in other words, in other words, the 99 percent Muslims are a marginalized community in Yemen, you know, in, in Saudi Arabia. I, I mean, it was, but that was the explanation. Do we, do- Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. 
Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. We have a recording of her saying that? Yes, yes, I can send it to you. It's, it's, it's uh, If you send it to me, I will play it on my show. It's when did th- when did this happen? This was 2019, the spring of 2019. So well, look, I, I just want, I, I have gone on record saying that the Anti-Defamation League has done less to combat anti-Semitism than to foster it. I, I, it's a radical statement. I say it with sadness. It is a useless organization, in my opinion, except for a handful of raw data things like this one. And yeah. uh, it... it, it it, it's it's very sad. Uh, they're they're the wokest of the woke, and and now and they've been a, they've been hit on the head. Offense. I'm it's sorry. It's a serial offense when it comes to this because you you the, the last survey that they published was it was from Europe in in uh, it, data collected through 2022, but but put out in May. And again, this striking result from France and Belgium, they they literally didn't mention it. That, it's almost as if it's gotten more brazen. The denial, the negation is more brazen. They literally didn't mention that 62% of the Muslims of France now exhibit extreme anti-Semitism uh, or, or 55% of the Muslims in Belgium. They literally didn't, didn't mention it. It's in the data, but they didn't mention it at all in their press release. And they're screaming about, about white supremacism. Right, and, trans- and transphobia. Well... A million phobias. <laughs> yes, a million but, phobias. But but it's it and, and and so I think I think so when you when you when you want to do something to combat this problem and and I and I think unfortunately a lot of it is it's 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 institutionalized. The the institutions of Islam are still teaching these very very negative stereotypes of, of Jews, like Al Azhar University. But when you have an organization that won't even be honest with what the data are showing. It, it, it's completely disoriented. Their to own the da- their own data. Their own data. Yeah. This is uh, extremely sobering stuff that you're revealing, uh, Andrew, to uh, to people. So the 16 most anti-Semitic countries want want to repeat in the world today are all Muslim, and they're in the Middle East. So let me ask you this: Are there any? non-anti-Semitic Muslim countries? Um, I would say as you, as you get outside the, the, the Middle East, you certainly see the prevalence of this, uh, this extreme high prevalences, you know, 74 to 93%. You see, you, you see it drop down um, in, into, the, into the 50s. Uh, um, like Indonesia. Uh, I, yeah, it's it, yeah, yeah. Although although it's it's again, it's it's still around fifty percent when, uh-huh. when you get out of the and, and the and the problem, Dennis, is that it's always disproportionate. That that's that's the clear signal that you get from the ADL data. So even in this country, 
you know, the one time ADL applied this instrument in the recent past in this country was 2017. And already by then, I can't imagine it's gotten any better, uh, probably worse. Already by then, the, the, the background rate amongst non-Muslims uh, uh, for this, for this, the commonality of this degree of anti-Semitism was 14% in the United States. Amongst Muslims, it was already 34%. So it's, it's, it, across the world, it's always two to fourfold higher. Uh, amongst Muslims. But yes, this is a much more philo-Semitic country. We, we assume a lot of Muslims have come here to get away from, from these kinds of societies. So, so it's less, but it's always disproportionate. So it is widely stated that Jews had it really good under Muslim rule in the past. Would you, like, would you comment on that? Um, it's a canard. I, I mean, you know, the, the, and it's and it's again, Dennis. It was it was largely manufactured by Jews. Um, one of one of the European Jewish historians, greats, uh, tried to uh, write these hagiographies about Muslim Spain. They're completely ahistorical, but he had potent, you know, a noble purpose in mind, which was that he was going to create this idyllic state. Uh, for for uh, to to show to to the Germans that look there was a society again idyllic that 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 treated us so much better you you, you should be ashamed you can do better here here in Germany now okay we can we can say that maybe there was there was there was um, a, a, some sort of a noble purpose in that um, but when you actually look at the history of the, of the, how the Jews fared in Muslim Spain. Remember, we, the, the largest pogrom on the European continent, the same year as the Battle of Hastings, was the complete annihilation of the Jews of, of Grenada in 1066. And we have a great historian, a Jewish historian, Moshe Perlman, completely unapologetic. Perlman's, Perlman's specialty was studying the, the Muslim, Christian, Jewish polemic of the Middle Ages. And he went back and showed how the incitement of that pogrom actually related to the commonality, as he put it, of the use of, of this theme in the Quran of the Jews as apes or apes and pigs, uh, and the fact that, that a small cadre of them had risen outside the limits of, of the Dimma. Uh, and, and this was used to incite the masses to wipe the Jews out. Uh, again, and, and remember, Maimonides escaped in a later period from Spain during the ter terrible Almohad persecutions, um, and, and he wrote in his epistle to the Jews of Yemen, um, you know, now this might have been an exaggeration on the basis of his own experience, that there was, there was no persecution that matched the Muslim persecution. They actually initiated an inquisition in, in North Africa the, under the Almohads, where Jews that had been forcibly converted to Islam were monitored and suspected, and, and, and some did, of practicing uh, Judaism surreptitiously. Some historians believe that became a prototype for what's much more famous, which was the, the Spanish uh, Inquisition. But ultimately, Muhammad had to flee uh, North Africa disguised as a Jew. And yes, there was a, in Egypt, under the Fatimids, he was able to Wait, resume... disguised as a Muslim. Disguised as a Muslim, I'm sorry, disguised as a Muslim. He was able to resume, you know, being a, a sort of court Jew dimmy. Uh, you know, but 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 there wasn't that aggressive persecution going on in Fatima in Egypt. However, he's writes he's getting a letter from the Jews in Yemen around this same period of time that they're undergoing a wave of pogroms and persecutions in far flung Yemen. 
So, you know, it's a very idealized uh, situation to say, uh, you know, basically the Jews and, and other non-Muslims lived under the Sharia, which is innately uh, oppressive to, to, to non-Muslims. What I think was prevalent then and continues to be was anger at Christianity. So we, oh, yeah. ha- we have to show that the Muslims really treated us better. Particularly in the in the period I was mentioning in the in the 19th century, yeah, with, with Heinrich Retz, yeah, yes, yes, a- 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 absolutely. Um, but you know, Maimonides also made something a very interesting point, and he was he was he was not he was not a fan of Christianity by any stretch of the imagination. In that same epistle to the Jews of of, of Yemen, he talks about very angrily how he. He'd, he'd like to uh, find uh, 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 where Jesus was buried and rattle rattle the bones around or something like that. Um, but he, he in, in his in his commentaries uh, on the Torah, he talks about how um, Jews should attempt to teach Torah to Christians because they will see uh, some rootedness, some commonality. But he says, for safety reasons alone, never attempt to do that with Muslims. They will find it so blasphemous that the Jew's life would be at risk. That's a fascinating distinction. Where did he write that? Uh, in, a, in a Torah commentary. Yeah. So you make a list of things you need to send me. <laughs> <laughs> the Christians of Lebanon have not done well. The Christians in West Africa are being massacred in the tens of thousands by Muslims, virtually unreported in the West, only only Israel attacking Muslims, and and only as a response, of course, to, to the butchery of October 7th. That, that's reported. Do you think, is there a, 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 a analogous animosity toward Christians in, in Islam? Oh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So it, it, what's interesting is that sometimes doctrinally, um, the attitude of, a, of, a, of Islam towards Christians appears to be somewhat milder. Um, mm-hmm. However, however, that hasn't that hasn't um, played out historically. Um, and uh, uh, if anything, I, I, I would say the, the, the persecution and, 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 and certainly the mass killings of Christians uh, under Islam has been has been worse. Uh, than for Jews, uh, simply simply by virtue of, of population density, if, if nothing else. Um, so, I, I, I and, and, and in, in our era, Dennis, you can actually I've done this. I, I've made a rubric where you where you look at um, you know like ADL data, extreme anti-Semitism. Then you look at Christian persecution data from something like uh, Open Doors, which monitors Christian persecution across the world, and then you look at Pew data. Where, which looks at desire for uh, strict application of the Sharia. And where you see the desire for strict application of, of the Sharia at, at its height, you see the greatest degrees of anti-Semitism and Christian persecution. So I think, I think they're all uh, uh, in, interrelated. And, and as Open Doors finds every year, with the exception of North Korea and China, all the leading persecutors of Christians are Muslim societies. So what has the reaction to you been? Are you called an Islamophobe regularly? Oh, of course. 
I, I mean, uh, it's it's uh, it's re- it's a reflexive response, which is also there's somewhat uh, there's some irony to that too, because Islamophobia, a- apart from this modern nonsensical construct, is is actually a doctrine. I mean, the way the jurists make very clear, and, and Muhammad himself in a, in a in a hadith says, "I have been made victorious through terror." But the idea of that is is not just as gruesome as it sounds. It is gruesome on, on a, a certain level. The idea, as the jurists would later formulate it, was to terrorize these populations or segments of these populations so that the rest of the population would submit and it would spare, first and foremost, Muslim casualties, but also actually the casualties amongst those conquered peoples. All right. And it would enhance Islamization. Andrew Bostom is is a legend among those who know the subject. The Legacy of Islamic Anti-Semitism, Dr. Andrew Bostom. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Dennis. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.